the preacher's text on a morning a long time ago came from the book of Joshua. And the text contained one of those difficult to stomach verses in the Bible. You know, one of those ones about Joshua going in and destroying a city in the land of Canaan. Uh, if you've ever seen a car crash, it's, it's like his reading of the text that morning felt that way to me. I remember one time behind being behind a a car running through an intersection. I knew another one was going to, and everything kind of slowed down to that moment, and bam. Well, that morning, I was sitting in the back row of the church, and I had a non-Christian friend with me. I would say at that point, I was a, at least a nominal Christian. I, I don't know that I, I truly trusted in Christ. And I was sitting in the back row, and the preacher comes to that very verse, and I thought, oh my goodness, he's actually going to read it out loud in a church. And sure enough, he did. And I was, I was a little embarrassed. But I was, also, I was also kind of fascinated by like, what's he going to say next? He was quiet. He looked up at us. And he said, if you're a Christian in here this morning, you should know why a text like this is in the Bible. And I thought to myself, I should know. You're the preacher. You should know. You tell me why that text is in the Bible. But he didn't. He wasn't embarrassed. He didn't feel like he needed to defend God. Rather, he knew that we are called to give an answer to God. I relaxed at that moment. Somehow, what he said made sense. And in that moment, I couldn't explain to you why that verse was in the Bible, but in that moment, I could see my reality has just changed. God is not in the defendant's chair. God is the judge. I'm in the defendant's chair. I need to answer him. You see, friends, this is how preaching works. We, 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 have, we have a certain reality, and then God's word comes in, and it challenges our reality, and then the Spirit comes and changes our reality, changes the world that we think we understood, but then with the challenge of God's word and by the power of the Spirit, everything changes on us. Just by reading a verse, landing it on me, that preacher helped change my universe. This is why we preach, and this is what our text is about this morning. Turn there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Last week, we ended with a glorious picture of the doctrine of Scripture we saw. In fact, look look there, the last couple of verses of chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so we, we reflected on that, and we thought that, first of all, God's Word's inspired, it's, it's God-breathed. 
And, and second of all, we saw that God's word is sufficient. It's sufficient for salvation and sanctification, right? Now, in light of those things, in light of the fact that this book is inspired and this book is sufficient, what then? Well, says Paul, preach it. And that's what we come to in our text this morning. Look at the first eight verses of chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will no longer endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who loved his appearing. If you look at page 11 of your handout of your bulletin, you'll see that I provided the structure of this text. It follows an A, B, C, B prime, A prime structure. It's called a chiasm, like like an X. And what you'll notice as we move through the three questions that follow, we're going to start with with the B and the B prime in that structure, and then we'll move to the C, And then the final question will finally take us to the A. So B, C, A is what we're going to look at through these three questions. Questions one, referring to B, referring to the charge that Paul gives Timothy, what work has God given our church to do? What work has God given our church to do? Answer, preach, share, learn the word preach, share, and by implication, learn the Word. And friends, this is going to be the longest part of the sermon. This is going to be most of the sermon, this first point. So when I'm done with it, don't panic. I'm not going to spend as much time on 2 and 3, okay? Again, look at verses 2 and 5. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then verse 5, back to the charge again. As for you, always be sober-minded. Enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now we're going to come back to verse 1 in a second, but just notice it briefly now. I charge you, Timothy, he's saying, in the view of the coming judgment of God. In other words, Timothy, I understand that what I'm about to say to you is with with God behind me about to show up and render judgment. So I'm going to be really careful with what I'm about to tell you. 
in view of his coming kingdom. Paul is turning up the volume. Paul is raising the stakes in the charge he's about to get. Sometimes when things in my home are a little dramatic and lots of people are arguing and quibbling, I'll, I'll, say, to the, I'll say to my girls, I'll say, okay, ladies, you, you can be a, a drama dampener or a drama accelerator right now. Which, which are you going to be? Paul is being a drama accelerator right now. He's turning up the volume. In view of the coming judgment of God, Okay, what? 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 In view of that coming judgment, what? Preach the word, he says, right? And we can almost go through the text with him conversationally. Okay, Paul, when, when exactly should we preach the word? Well, keep looking. Verse 2, in season, out of the season, all the time. Good times, bad times, you feel like it, you don't feel like it. Always, Timothy, preach the word. Oh, okay, Paul, what, what exactly do you mean? Do you mean like when you went to the Areopagus and you gave this intellectually scintillating lecture to, the, to the, the pagan philosophers there? Is that what you're talking about? No. Look again at verse 2. What's he say? He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Meaning, take, take this word and apply it to their lives. Challenge them where they are living so that when they walk out after the Sunday gathering, it's for change. They're, they're changing. They're, they're worshiping better than they were before or rightly, when they weren't. They're living or pursuing living differently than they were before. I, I'm not interested in an intellectually scintillating lecture, says Paul. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Ah, Paul, that's hard. Uh, people don't change that easily. No, they don't change that easily. L look again. That's why you must preach with complete patience. Say the same thing again. Say it again. Say it again. Hey, last week, you talked about the gospel. Talk about the gospel again this week. Next week, I want you to talk about the gospel. Have you, have you guys noticed as we've been going through 2 Timothy, there's been a lot of texts that kind of exhort us back to a right teaching and being on the Word. I feel like I've been, and Tony and I have been kind of saying some of the same applications over and over. Don't go to wrong teachers. Go to right teachers. Stay in the Word. We've kind of been saying the same. Have you, have you noticed that? Well, you might think that's a little like, really, come on, guys, you got nothing better? Well, get your own Bible, okay? Because for some reason, some reason, the Holy Spirit thinks we all need to hear it again. Somehow he means to, to push these lessons down into our teach with complete patience. We need the same stuff week after week. After all, look at verses 3 and 4. People are going to want other stuff. Paul, Paul what do I do? Is I'm, it looks like I'm going, to be, I'm going to say the same stuff again, and, and frankly, people are going to want to hear other stuff. Something new, something different, something exciting. 
That's true, he replies. That's why. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. You're going to have to keep your head. You're going to have to be sober-minded. Don't let anything take your eye off the, the ball of preaching the Word. Keep your eye on that ball. Suffering might come. That's going to tempt you to take your eye off the ball. Endure suffering, says Paul to Timothy. Share the word in the church. And when you leave, share the word. Do the work of an evangelist. It says in first, we're preaching the word inside. All of us are called to preach the word outside as we leave. By what suffering may come, distractions may come. Be sober-minded. Stay on it. Let me, let me summarize Paul's charge, particularly in light of verse 1, like, like this. The elders of this congregation, the elders of every congregation, should be willing to let every other single ministry in the gathered church, in the life of the church, fail, except this one ministry, this one program of preaching, teaching God's word. You can only do one thing. That's what you do. Because God's words are the, the, the food, the water that we have to live by. You take away God's word, we all dry up and die. There's nothing left. There are other things to do as a pastor. But the centerpiece of being a pastor, of being an elder, is preaching, teaching God's word. And as you're seeking change in the lives of the people around you, same story. It's the word that gives life. Friends, this is one reason when we were thinking through what are we looking for in a new pastor, we put that at the top. We made that central. Somebody who's preaching is central. Now, speaking of preaching, something I typically do when I preach is I, I stay on the text. I, I don't tend to jump around to other texts. It's fine. I tend not to do that, jump around to other texts of Scripture and bring them in. That's just, that's just my way of going about it. This morning, however, I'm going to spend some time in a few other texts. And my goal is to help you understand why. Okay, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 37. My goal is to help you understand why would Paul say, preach the word like this? Why would he make this so central? Turn to Ezekiel 37. Your old text, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. If you look back a few verses into 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of your stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, I'll put my spirit within you. Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, how about, how about you? I, I want a new spirit. I, I want a new heart. You know, any, anyone else? I, I want God's Holy Spirit in me. Anyone else, right? Isn't that what we want? Well, how's that going to happen? Look at chapter 37. 
The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out in the spirit of his Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Okay, so the stage is set. You got this, you got this valley full of bones, and you got, you got the, the, the preacher, the prophet, standing right there look, looking at all of these dead bones, right? And then, and then comes the, the question, then comes the challenge. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Great question. That's what a preacher coming into the pulpit every Sunday in some ways is asking, okay, what are we going to do to help these bones live? That's what you're doing when you're sitting at the dinner table with your kids. And you want to do family Bible stuff? How are these bones going to live? That's what you're doing when you're sharing the gospel with your non-Christian neighbor. What's going to make these bones live? Right, that's... So God's Spirit comes in them. That, that, that's what we're after. How will that happen? Let's keep reading. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Preach to them. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Okay? That's all. Preach. Look down at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and, and skin had covered them. Okay, so, the, so there he is, he's, he's preaching, these, these bones, this valley, like dead army, all these bones come together, rattling to come together, skin, but it's not done yet. Not, not, not yet enough is there. Look at the next verse, the end of verse 8. But there was no breath in them. Now, the Hebrew word for breath is the same word as the word for wind or, or spirit. Ruach. Ruach means spirit, breath, wind. It's, it's, it's the same word. So keep reading. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, spirit, and breathe, spirit, on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath, spirit, came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God's word is going out. It's joined by God's spirit going out. God's word, God's spirit working together to create life. Not beautiful? And then look what happens. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, and owe my people, in the verse 14, and I will put my, capital S, spirit within you, and you shall live. We're going back to 36. So 36, how do we get God's spirit? Answer, Ezekiel, valley, dry of bones. God says, preach, spirit will come, I'll give you my spirit. I want God's spirit. I want life. You want God's spirit. You want life. How? Answer, 
Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, Chevrolet Baptist. Preach the word, all churches of the world. Now, friends, this is a faith proposition. This is hard to believe. Here's what's easy to believe. What's easy to believe is you put up a, a beautiful person here, a smart person, a charismatic person, a funny person. It's easy to see how those things draw a crowd. Not what the world does. It's hard to believe. Uh, good morning, I'm here once again with this 2,000-year-old book. I'm going to preach some letter from this old guy named Paul. And people come to life. A movement begins. Churches form. Christianity lasts 2,000 years. Opening an old book and explaining it. That takes faith. It's hard to believe it, how much we want to rely on ourselves. You're sitting there with your kids. You're trying to think, okay, what's the right thing to say? You're sitting there with a non-Christian friend. You're thinking, <clears throat> if I can say this in just the right way, that will convince them. If, if I get my timing just right with my non-Christian parents, as if it relies on you and your ingenuity. I remember sitting in a Starbucks once, spending time with a, a, a young man. This was years ago. and We had talked about something he was going through in life, and I shared with him all of my wisdom. I had such great wisdom. And we got to the end, and I thought to myself, you know, I never opened the Bible. Got my wisdom. He didn't get God's. I need to find something in the Bible to share with this brother. My wisdom, your wisdom, friends, our cleverness, our humor, our charisma, our whatever, doesn't bring the dead to life. Does not change the leper's spots. Does not give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. That is what God's word does. So again, why? Why 2 Timothy 4.2? Why, Paul, you're, you're in house prison. This is one of the last letters, the last letter that we know of that you're going to write to your longtime disciple. After everything you've heard from me for decades now, Timothy, listen to this. Why, Paul, are you saying preach the word? Answer, because God is spirit and God creates by speaking. He says, be to a universe of nothing, and it is. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, said the psalmist in Psalm 93, looking back at Genesis 1. Or the author of Hebrews, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is seen, okay, I can see this, I can see the universe. What was seen was not made out of things that are visible. Invisible words create visible matter. I love to reflect on what happened when Jesus was, was standing on the boat, waves and the winds. And, and Jesus says to the waves and the wind, peace, be still. 
Think about that moment scientifically for just a second. Particles of oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen obeyed. Protons and neutrons listened to their master. Isn't that astonishing? Maybe even more astonishing is peering into a perfect vacuum in which there are no protons and neutrons and electrons and saying, be, and they show up along with the universe. And in the same way God created creation by speaking, so he gives us new creation by speaking. The apostles speak in unison. Uh, Peter reminds his readers that they had been born again through the living and enduring word of God. How were you born again? Through the word of God. Uh, James says similarly, by God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. James 1.18. Paul makes the parallel between creation and new creation clear when he says, by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience for what we proclaim, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What's, what's Paul referring to there? Let light shine out of darkness. Genesis 1, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Creation, new creation, speaking. And of course, you guys know Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. And of course, the apostles learned all this from Jesus himself. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. John 6, 63. Okay, again, so why? Why 2 Timothy 4, 2? Why preach the word Timothy? Why preach the word elders of Chevrolet Baptist Church? Why insist on the preaching of the word members of Chevrolet Baptist Church and the sharing of the word Because God speaks and we come to life, whether directly, him speaking, or indirectly through human creatures. Two more texts. 1 Timothy 2.13. Here's Paul to the Thessalonians. We thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, okay, Paul's preaching, you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Isn't that interesting? So, so Paul gets up, he preaches, and he says, that's the word of God. And that's what you received it as. Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as someone speaking the very words of God. Someone's, and if, if any of you speak, he should do it as speaking the very words. Words of God. Okay, friends, that's, that's my tangent. I went off-roading. Let me, let me bring it back. That's the end of my very long tangent. We come back to 2 Timothy 4.2. Let me make one more point from it. Notice that Paul does not tell Timothy to preach. He tells him to preach what? The Word. That's right. And friends, I think that's why, prudentially, I would say, I would think that's why 
expositional preaching is the best, and I do mean best, form of ordinary preaching in the life of a church. What is expositional preaching? The sole distinctive of expositional preaching is it's preaching that exposes the text, the point of the text. That's, that's what it seeks to do. It can be a long text. It can be a short text. It doesn't mean you have to go walk and step by step through the text. It just means the main point Tony does whenever he preaches, and John would do this too, the main point of the text, they'll say, is this. They're seeking to expose the text. An expositional sermon is a sermon in which the point of the biblical text is the point of the sermon applied to the congregation. After all, if God's word gives life and God's word alone gives life, we give our hearers a chance at life only insofar as we faithfully reproduce what the text says. Let me say that again. If God's word alone is what gives life, we only give our hearers, you only give your kids, you only give your neighbors, we only give our hearers an opportunity for life insofar as we faithfully repeat, re-say, re-expose God's word. Not your stories or mine. It's not our cleverness. It's not our humor, as I said. It is God's word. So a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the story about the interim pastorate in which I was uh, preaching in a way that caused the elders to say, Jonathan, you at least half the time you're preaching 30 to 40 degrees off the main point of the text. And therefore, we're not going to call you as pastor of this congregation. Afterwards, Jer Jeremy Brogy very helpfully said to me, Jonathan, that was, that was a great sermon. You were only 10 to 20 degrees off this morning. I can grow, see? Right? Very, very encouraging. What, what I didn't tell you at the time is what one of the main lessons I took away from that experience, which was, Jonathan, just preach the point of the text. It was like a, a cow brand in my brain. Just preach the point of the text. Now, friends, that's not to say there's not time and place for topical preaching. In fact, in April or May or something, uh, April, I'm going to do a three-part series, topical series on marriage. I think that's okay to do from time to time. But what you want to be as the ordinary meal that you eat every Sunday is a sermon in which I'm just, okay, well, let's see. We've got Ezekiel 37. What's the point of that? Let me explain it to you. Now, you can do that in some ways in a topical sermon. The, 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 the challenge of a topical sermon is it's your, it's your topic that you're bringing to it that you're going to get out of it. Well, suppose I want to do a topical series on prayer, and I go to Hebrews 4. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Friends, we're told to pray with confidence. Well, that's not the point of Hebrews 4. The, the point of Hebrews 4 is the gospel. Covered in the blood of Christ, we can approach the throne of grace. Of now, one lesson from that is that I can pray with confidence, yes, but I'm not, I'm not going straight at the text, you see? That's why I think it's wise, and we think it's wise. Ordinarily, let that be the course of preaching in your church, in any church you would seek to join. If you're ever teaching a Sunday school class, or teaching your kids, or sharing the gospel, this is what you're seeking to do, to point to the text. Here's, here's one other application 
of this basic point. Friends, if, if you ever find yourself in a church where for one reason or another you're struggling to trust the pastors and especially the preacher, that's a tough place to be. Because if I don't trust the source, I'm going to have a hard time hearing the word of God from the source. And there's a sense in which I almost don't care whose fault it is. Whether, whether the preacher has done something that's wrong and, and, and compromised your trust, or, or maybe it's some problem in your own heart that keeps you from trusting. There's a certain sense I want to say, well, whatever. Try to fix it if you can. But if at the end of the day, you, you, you can't find yourself able to trust, you're going to shrivel. Your spouse is going to shrivel. Your children are going to shrivel. You need to be in a church where you trust the pastors, trust the elders, so that you can hear God's word. That might mean there's some hard work for you to do. That might mean there's some conversations to have. I'm just kind of, again, I'm leaving that to the side. I'm just saying, you go out on your lawn and you're, you're trying to hose down your lawn and all of a sudden it stops spraying water and you look back and you see a, you see a kink in the hose. And that lack of trust is like the kink in the hose. And I'm just saying, you need the water. No matter what, you need the water. Do what you can to fix the hose or go somewhere else. I'm trying to be realistic. We're commanded to forgive, yes. But sometimes even when we forgive, trust can be broken, right? Get yourself in a church where you can trust those preaching the word because you need the preached word. That's question one. What are we, what are the elders called to do, and what are we as a, a church called to make sure happens? Preaching, sharing, by implication, learning the word. Question one. Question two. What will distract us from this work? Answer, other burdens and passions. This is page 12. Other burdens and passions, other promises. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Uh, Hugh Fike sent me a text the other day. The sermons of your church are indistinguishable from the message of fortune cookies. Just stick with Panda Express. Good advice. Thank you, Hugh. And Paul pushes Timothy to keep preaching the word because people's ears will itch, hear other things. That is to say, they'll have different burdens. That's, 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 that, that's not my burden. That's not where I'm itching. I got a different one. I'm not worried about the Bible's burden. I have a different burden. I want to hear what I, what I want to hear. They have, look at, the, look at the very end of verse 3, different passions. And so they will find teachers to address their burdens, their passions. And they wander off into different myths. Well, what's a, what's a myth offer? Well, it offers the promise of something else. And church members won't so care so much for the Bible's promises, but go looking for other promises, other fanciful promises 
stories that address our itch, whatever that itch is. But let, me, let me point to three times when I think we can be tempted by itching ears and wander off. Three times, particularly good times, personally, particularly bad times, personally, and politically or economically tumultuous times, publicly. In particularly good times, personally, we're comfortable. We're happy. We kind of want to keep things going the way they are. And any passage of Scripture that might come along and disrupt us, challenge us, call us to more sacrifice, eh, sure I want to hear that. In particularly bad times, personally, we're hurting. We're desperate. Our ears itch to hear something that will immediately solve that hurt, that desperation. We're tempted to look for alternative explanations, alternative interpretations of the Bible address those things and offer other pathway, pathways and restore our hope. So friend, be careful about the particularly good times. Be careful about the particularly bad times in your life. Double down on studying scripture. And then in politically or economically tumultuous times, we're scared. Our, our, our ears itch with fear. And if we can find one verse in the Bible that names that fear, We're tempted to build our Christianity around it. So are you feeling oppressed or abused? Well, the Bible opposes oppression and abuse, so build a Christianity around that. Are you worried about the decline of morality in the nation? Well, the Bible opposes the decline of morality in a nation, so so build your Christianity around that. Are you worried about poverty or family breakdown? or any number of other things. Well, the Bible addresses those things. Build your Christianity to address those things, to campaign against those things. All of these are reasons why, in verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Don't lose your head. Don't be tossed off course by the storms of political winds or economic waves, he says. You're going to feel the pull of those, friends. Stay on the line of sound doctrine. So again, in particularly personally good times, personally bad times, and publicly hard times, don't lose your head. Preach the word and just the word. Question three. How will we stay focused on God's assigned work? Answer, The long view. Remembering God's judgment and reward. The long view. Remembering God's judgment and reward. Look at verse 1 again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom. His appearing in his kingdom. What's, What's Paul doing? Well, he's taking the long view. He's remembering the promise of God's eventual judgment and reward. And look at verses 6 to 8 again. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. What's Paul doing? He's taking the long view. He's remembering the promise of God's eventual judgment and reward. I think I've shared with you guys the Martin Luther quote before. There's two days on my calendar today and that day. Remember that quote? Two days today, that day. Verse 8 again. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do we love the prospect of his appearing? Do we look forward to the day when all things will be measured and weighed according to him? And all the false measurements and false weights that we use to define this world will be vanquished. Think about how Paul lives preparing every day for that day. As such, he can pour himself out. Should we just go to this? He can pour himself out as a drink offering right? Uh, Those who warn about being so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, got it exactly wrong. It's when we're most heavenly minded, we can be most earthly good because we're not trying to preserve or hold on to anything here and we can pour ourselves out as a drink offering, just like Paul. Uh, Friends, you can pour yourself out today if you're living in light of that award which awaits on the last You can fight the good fight today. Now, again, I told you about my interim pastorate. Let me tell you about a successful interim pastorate right before it. I had two in a row. I told you about the second one. Let me me tell you about the the first one. My my wife and I spent four months in Grand Cayman as as the interim pastor, and and that one went well. I, I preached through a couple of books of the Bible. Everything went well. And I remember getting... Uh, on the plane, uh, we didn't have any kids at this point, getting on the plane at the end, and we had one of those bulkhead seats, you know, with the wall in front of you, and I remember putting my, my feet up on the wall, sitting back, and just thinking, I didn't mess it up. I made it. I got through those four months of pastoring that church, and I didn't mess it up. I made it. Thank God. It's interesting, isn't it, that the, the good story came before the bad story, the, the good interim pastorate came before the bad interim pastorate. Why? What, what happened there? Well, could it be that as I put up my feet on the wall, there was genuine gratitude in my heart for what the Lord had done? But could it be there was also some pride in my heart? Look what I did. Could it be that I was setting myself up for the fall about to come? Could it be that I was resting too soon? Putting my feet up too soon. How about you? You put your feet up. Are you resting too soon? Are you taking for granted past grace or are you anticipating future living into future grace so that you can continue till that last day 
to pour yourself out. We've not yet finished the race. We're still called to fight the good fight. The Lord gives us Sabbaths. Monday to Saturday, we're fighting the good fight. We're relying on his grace. Paul, at the end, could say, the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Uh, friends, I know, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I, I trust that's what you want. We, we, we want to reach not just a flight back to the States. We, we want to reach that final flight, don't we? And have the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. You kept the faith. You poured yourself out. You fought the good fight. Now here is the crown of righteousness. Are we living for that crown of righteousness? I began with an illustration of listening to a preacher preach about God's judgment of the Canaanites through the Israelites, and it's an Old Testament story that shocks the system. I wonder if this New Testament story shocks your system. God carrying out his judgment, not on the Canaanites, but God carrying out his judgment on his own son, through the Romans and the Jews. If the first story tells us that God is judge, that's what I learned that day, God is judge. The second story tells us that he would be judged. He would put himself in the place of judgment. The judgment that you and I deserve. Does that shock you? In the same way, the first story might shock you. God, you who are holy and perfect and good, you would do that for me, for a sinner like me? God's word confronts every one of us with these historical facts. And it seeks to, through his spirit, completely reorient change, turn upside down the realities that we live inside of. And so every week we come here, and what do we pray? Lord, can these bones live? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help these bones to live. For those of us who don't know you, we pray that you would, through your word, help these bones to live. And for those of us who do know you, we pray that you would continue to grow us in the knowledge of you, that we might attain that crown of righteousness. We pray this all in the Son's name. Amen.